This program provides education, not advice. Sponsors pay a fee for endorsements and interviews. See the truthayf.com disclosure page for details. This is where technology, innovation, and personal finance come together. This is the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. Brought to you by Global X ETFs, dedicated to providing investors with unexplored intelligent solutions. And by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ, Invesco Distributors, Inc. And by Presidio, offering a digital vault where you can collect, protect, and share all your important people, places, things, and documents with all the key people in your life. Start for free at Presidio.com. It's Friday, August 4th, and you're listening to the 200th podcast of The Truth About Your Future. I'm Rick Edelman. I want to thank you so much for joining me for these 200 podcasts. After a 32-year career on radio, a couple of years ago, we've launched this podcast. We've already hit number 200. Thanks for joining me for all of these, and many thanks to our sponsors for their support in making this possible. On today's show... You've heard of Bitcoin, of course, but do you know what it is and how it works? I'm going to explain it to you simply, easily, succinctly later on in the program. You're not going to want to miss it. Hey, I talked about higher prices and why the cost of stuff is rising. There's one group of people who don't care. They're spending like mad. I'm talking about the world's richest people. Retail sales are down, but spending on luxury goods is up. I'm talking about luxury cars, personal luxury goods, luxury hospitality, fine wines and spirits, gourmet food and fine dining, high-end furniture and housewares, fine art, private jets and yachts, luxury cruises. Wow, it's a big list. Cars, hospitality, and goods, they're 80% of the total, and they're growing 21% a year. Most of this is by rich people who are members of the Gen Z and Gen Y population. We're talking about people from their 20s and 30s and 40s. Most of them didn't earn their wealth. They get it from trust funds. And the boom in luxury sales is occurring right here in the U.S., mostly in New York City. There's a new hotel, the Amon New York, charges $15,000 per night. Even people who aren't rich are spending like they are. There are 400 million people who bought luxury goods last year. We don't have 400 million millionaires. 40% of the people who are spending money on luxury goods are earning less than 50 grand a year. 54% of them are low-income and middle-income shoppers. They're buying luxury goods. They're not saving for retirement. They're spending it on Gucci handbags. And 21% say they're going to buy even more luxury goods over the next six months. The owner of the biggest luxury brands in the world is LVMH. They own Tiffany, Bulgari, Tag Heuer, Christian Dior, Celine, Fendi, Vuitton, Loro Piana, Lowe's, Marc Jacobs. And they say their sales are remarkable, that they're reaching record levels of revenue and profits. In particular, Watches and jewelry, big momentum. Luxury is not just high heels anymore either, but sneakers. Gucci has partnered with the North Face. Consumers are now realizing that less is more. They'd rather buy one great item than 10 bad ones. Luxury is also now more readily available than ever before. You don't have to go to Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive. You can access these products on your mobile phone and on social media sites. 
in today's world full of stress, luxury makes people happy. And so that's why retail is suffering, but luxury goods are doing great. In fact, they're now back to pre-COVID levels or better. Sales of luxury cars are at a record level, half a trillion dollars worth of sales. The luxury hospitality market doubled last year. Sales of fine wines up 16%. Gourmet food up 12%. High-end furniture up 13%. The art market's up 13%. Sales of private yachts and jets up 18%. Luxury watches, 24%. Jewelry's up 25%. The sales of shoes, up 22%. And what's coming? By 2030, the biggest luxury market in the world will be China. It's currently third behind the U.S. and Europe. And the biggest buyers of luxury by 2030? People under the age of 40. They will be 80% of the market. And there are new products coming that's going to add $120 billion in annual sales. The new products, the metaverse and NFTs, virtual events, brand-related content, such as movies, art, and music, secondhand luxury goods, and 3.0 experiences, virtual stores, digital shopping assistants, ultra-luxury travel and hospitality. Yeah, there's a lot of problems going on in our world. But those in the luxury markets, they look like they'll be fine. Coming up next on The Truth About Your Future, the coming merger of crypto with robotics, the Internet of Things, and generative AI. Featuring conversation with Scott Helfstein, the head of thematic solutions at Global X ETFs, and Jake Ryan, the chief investment officer of Tradecraft Capital. Stay with us right here for more on the podcast. The Truth About Your Future is sponsored by Global X ETFs. Automation and artificial intelligence are introducing new possibilities and upending the status quo before our very eyes. These exponential technologies are rapidly evolving, and the list of innovators leading the charge extends well past the big tech firms that dominate headlines. At Global X ETFs, we specialize in investments that look beyond household names, providing exposure to a range of companies at the leading edge of these disruptions and more. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to learn how or contact your financial advisor. Where do you store your important documents? How do you keep track of what you have or where it is? Use Presidio, the digital vault where you can collect, protect, and share all your important people, places, things, and documents with all the key people in your life. What you have and where you have it. You'll always know where your valuable information is kept, and you can easily and securely share your info anytime with anyone you choose. Try Presidio free today at Presidio.com. That's P-R-I-S-I-D-I-O.com. Presidio. Welcome back to the show. In June, I hosted the fifth annual Vision Conference. It was in Austin, presented by my company, the Digital Assets Council of Financial Professionals, DAC-FP. Vision is the longest-running digital assets investment conference that's specifically for financial advisors and accredited investors. And at this year's conference, it was our biggest ever, attended by more than 125 financial advisors and investment professionals from all over the country. One of our sessions was the coming revolution, the merging of crypto with robotics, the Internet of Things, and generative AI. 
I interviewed Scott Helfstein, the head of thematic solutions at Global X ETFs, and Jake Ryan, the chief investment officer of Tradecraft Capital. I wanted to share that entire conversation with you here today. Here it is, unabridged and uncensored. This is our last session prior to us minting our own NFTs. That's going to be like a lot of fun. So everybody has been spending time talking about ChatGPT this year, and they've been ignoring the fact that there's going to be a merger of crypto in that. And to help us tackle it, we've got Jake Ryan, the CIO of Tradecraft Capital, and Scott Helstein, who is the head of thematic solutions for Global X ETFs. Gentlemen, welcome. So let's start off with you, Scott. At Global X, you talk about the fourth industrial revolution. That kind of assumes there have been three before this. So talk about what came first, where we're at now, and how all this intersects with blockchain. Sure. So the Industrial Revolution, of course, refers to prior points in history where there has been uh, an acceleration in productivity capabilities. Uh, and so we can think back reminiscent of things like the steam engine, the railroad, the, the modern milling system with uh, replaceable parts. And then there is some debate whether we're actually on the tail end of the third or the fourth, where the third is really digitalization and the use of computers. But we actually think that with the fourth, there is an integration of automation capabilities that goes simply beyond just being able to use the computer, use it for communication, use it for transactions, but in fact, uh, an integration of what I like to think of as automation of the physical, which is robotics, and automation of the cognitive, which is where we get into some of the artificial intelligence. And so, Jake, your position on this is that these economic cycles are, are driven by technological revolution. So correlate yeah. all of that. You know, a lot of economists have started back in the turn of the century, like Joseph Schumpeter and, and Nicholas Kondratiev, uh, came up with innovation driving the long wave economic cycle. And it's that 50 or 60 year cycle. Carlota Perez then uh, took that forward and, and described five different uh, long wave cycles in the last 200 years. We had you know, industrialization, and then railroads, and then electrification, and then oils and auto, and then the age of information. And I would assert that that is now dead that you cannot make money uh, on having specialized knowledge anymore, and that we're going to a new long-wave cycle, which I call the age and, of autonomy. And that's kind of disconcerting, because we all grew up in a world where those who had the knowledge had the power. And that was why we went to college, frankly, um, because you're either going to be a, you know, a bricklayer, or you're going to be the person who figures out how to build and manufacture bricks. And if you're saying that that is no longer a value, what then is? What, what replaces it? Uh, now it'll be the people who can build autonomous operations. So the most important thing that will happen in the next two, three, four decades is being able to build autonomous operations. That is, uh, businesses that can run by themselves. 
and it's, it's the convergence of four technologies, IoT, robotics, AI, and then blockchain or crypto, blockchain technology that allows us to generate economic activity without human intervention. That's the key point. Uh, I think we're all familiar with robotics. Uh, I think we're all familiar with AI. I'm not convinced everybody is as familiar with IoT, Internet of Things. So let's take a backward step for a moment and just give us a you know 30 second, one minute discourse sure. on the Internet of Things. IoT, I could give you three examples. One might be you know trying to find a parking spot, you know, and having the red or green lights in the parking lots that makes it so much easier to find a parking spot. Uh, some of us have smart homes where we have refrigerators or lights or things that are uh, connected and able to interact. Or a third might be uh, like a farm, precision agriculture, where they're able to get very specific water and very specific things around the farm that they can grow with, with automation and autonomous activity. Can I actually offer just a, a slightly different, I think, higher level take? Sure. That's not based off of individual examples. Really, the Internet of Things is the universe of sensors and processors that sit in between the physical world and the digital world. So I talked about automating the physical and automating the cognitive, right? And within that, it's how does the AI algorithm understand the physical world around it? It does it through this Internet of Things layers that sits in between. And it's really critical. And, and in a lot of ways, um, it is going to be one of the most important device implementations of the chat GPT and the AI revolution. So Jake gave three practical examples of what you've just described conceptually, and, and I'm glad that you both did that. Really, we're, we're moving toward the internet of people. You know, we use the internet to connect ourselves. That's what email is. That's what Facebook and YouTube are. To the internet of things, meaning the devices are connected to the internet. So my phone talks to my coffee pot, and my car talks to my house which means whereas I have in my phone an internet address, pretty soon my television is going to have an internet address. Oh, wait, it already does because of cable uh, and streaming with Netflix. So there's only 8 billion people, only 8 billion people on the planet. We each have two or three internet addresses, typically. But think of all the things in your house all of them are going to have their own internet address. We're talking billions upon billions of IP addresses. I think right. there's already something like two Internet of Things connected devices for every person on the planet. So I think we're already at 16 billion. And uh, that number is actually expected to grow at something around 15 or 16 percent for the next seven years or so. So we're going to see a, a tremendous growth in this space. So talk about now the connection of things connected to the internet, AI, which goes back to the point you made earlier, Jake, about autonomous functionality. Mm -hmm. And okay, I kind of get that, although so far you kind of sound a little like Skynet. Um, <laughs> what? Let's bring uh, Buckminster Fuller, uh, his idea of the knowledge doubling curve. Uh, knowledge is doubling. In the 1900s, 
in 1900s, knowledge was doubling every 400 years. By 1950, knowledge was doubling every 20 years. By 2000, knowledge was doubling every 10 years. And by 2020, knowledge was doubling every 13 hours. So, so we're doubling knowledge every 13 hours right now. You know, how are human beings going to, to be able to compete? Which with, is what your point that knowledge is no longer the key to success for humans because there's too much information to become knowledgeable about. We have to rely on these AI systems to do it for us. Yeah. Uh, and so before I get to the question about the crypto connection, well, this is a crypto conference, we'll eventually get to that. First talk about what that means for us in employment and career and viability in the marketplace, income earning potential, if we are no longer the knowledge base ourselves. Talk about, you know, where does that take us? Yeah. Okay, so um, one of them is the reason why the metaverse will be so significant is that you will have the incentive to make money where jobs in the real world will be going away. We don't need as many software developers anymore. You know, I was a software engineer. We don't, we don't need those anymore. Programs are writing themselves and, and performing. And so we don't need more lawyers. We don't need more radiologists. And so what's gonna happen is people are gonna move to the metaverse to be able to generate income. And the incentive of being able to make money in participating in a metaverse, that, that incentive to make money is what's gonna drive uh, the metaverse. It, it is interesting to note that this is coming at a really critical time from a demographic perspective. Because while that sounds very doom and gloomy, and I'm probably not quite as doom and gloomy as you are in terms of, of jobs, I think that, right, we've already seen, for example, um, you know, Amazon keeps their SWAT teams on staff to be able to repair their printers. Because I don't know if people know this, but any book you buy on Amazon, hardcover, softcover, whatever it is, it's all printed on the same industrial printers. Amazon prints them. They don't actually buy books from publishers. And so when one of these printers goes down, that costs them a ton of money. So they just have teams of people sitting around waiting to fix one of those printers. Mm -hmm. And by the way, um, the Phonic Robotics Facility outside of Detroit is dark. If you walk onto the floor, there's no lights on because there's no people actually working there and the robots don't need lights to be building <laughs> other robots. They can do that. But I'm not as doom and gloom and here's why, because in traveling around the country, uh, the biggest complaint, by the way, about the economy that I've heard, and by the way, I've been pretty bullish about the economy and um, I kinda still am, to be honest. Um, but the biggest complaint that I've heard is about labor and getting people, that it's not about getting customers, it's not about ensuring there is demand for product or service, it's people, and in the United States, we are going into a demographic deficit where we will have fewer working age population as a percentage of total population, i.e., if we wanna consume the same amount, we better figure out ways to get more productive, and this is not just a US story. Europe, Japan, China, the four largest economies in the world, along with the United States, are all facing a similar demographic challenge. We're gonna have fewer workers, and we need these technologies to make us more productive. You know, it's really interesting you mentioned that. We were in a restaurant the other night. We tried to book a reservation at 6 o'clock, and they said, sorry, the earliest we can seat you is 8.30, and did some conjoling, got us in it at 6 o'clock, 
And uh, when we sat down, the restaurant was like virtually empty. There were only a few people at a couple of other <laughs> tables. And we were like, you said we couldn't get a table. What, what's going on? And we finally concluded it wasn't because the tables were full. It's because they didn't have enough workers yeah. to handle the volume. Uh, and you're, you're exactly yeah. right. And the age wave that you're describing is uh, perpetuating this issue. Not to mention the fact how many people really want to work in the certain industries. So even if there are workers, they don't want to do that particular job, yeah, which is why restaurants are introducing robotic servers. You're using iPads for ordering. And I had a QR code at a restaurant, which is how I paid my bill. Yep. So automation is helping to replace uh, this whole situation. So it's really fascinating how fast we have to adapt to this. And, and if you listen to my podcast at all, you know what a big fan I am of Global X ETFs, which is one of the industry leaders in thematic investing. And these three themes, Scott, fall right into your bailiwick of robotics and AI and IoT. Talk about the merging of crypto. How does crypto fit within all of this? So rather than crypto, actually, what I'd prefer to talk about is blockchain. And Which I, think, I just put under the broad umbrella. But and yeah. so, you know, the way I think about it is really it's about data management. It's a layer in the data management stack. And if we think about the fact we're going to be reliant increasingly on the AI algorithms and on the automation process, how are we securing that data? That's a critical question. For example, we've all played, many of us, I presume in this room, have played with ChatGPT. I, by the way, was very heartened back in January for the first time in like years. Uh, Taylor Swift was supplanted as the top Google search in the United States by ChatGPT. <laughs> then, of course, I realized... It was probably ChatGPT who told you that, so... <laughs> um, well, well, actually, my realization, so I felt really good about America in that moment. Then I realized that it was probably all my son's 14-year-old friends trying to figure out how to use it to do their homework. <laughs> so, but we all know that it, quote unquote, hallucinates. It comes up with things and integrating information that simply are not right. And so as somebody who produces financial research, I'm not worried yet about getting supplanted because I have to footnote everything for FINRA. And right now, these algorithms do not have that capability. However, blockchain right, has the potential to create an auditable system that is transparent, that we can see where the information was being pulled from. And that would be a huge advantage. So there, in, in, in sourcing capability, in sourcing information, that's huge. As we think about integrating that with robotics, well, especially as robots go into restaurants, they leave auto factories, that's where most robots have been caged up in historically. So as we think about them going out into the world, how do we make sure they're safe? How do we make sure they're getting the right information? And how can we audit the commands that they're getting? Well, that offers, blockchain offers a solution to mm -hmm. that, right? And then the IoT kind of integrates across two worlds. So I actually do think, I mean, you know, it's a little bit the title of this is a little bit like the buzzword bingo. Yeah. Right? How many, how many more buzzwords can we throw in? But this integration of the crypto and of the blockchain data layer is really critical for these technologies. Elaborate on that integration, because that's really the key word, isn't it? I had somebody say, oh, crypto is dead. It's all about ChatGPT. I'm like, how can one thing that has nothing to do with another thing kill the other thing? I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, they're all kind of there. So, so talk about the integration, because that's really uh, the element. Are there any other connections to 
blockchain and crypto broadly, 3D printing, for example. 3D printing is a great one, and I think that you know, as we talk about Ethereum and smart contracts and digital information, well, 3D printing advanced fabrication is really just a file. And it's a file that is digital, and is a file that can be uploaded on a printer. And to me, it's a perfect example of how smart contracts can facilitate transaction in this space. And then it also ensures that the creators, those who are still creating, uh, can get compensated yeah. for it, right? And so that is, to me, and then, and then how you can use different people's works and pull them together. And it's the blockchain system and then the fabrication capability that pulls it all together. Open source, uh, you know, the fact that we use open source software is really a key, key distinction because you can audit and see what the software is doing. You have transparency to know what the software is doing. And so the, the open source aspect of, of software and all the, the blockchain projects being open source is a critical component as well. So where are we in this evolution? Um, you've talked about the fourth industrial revolution, Jake, and um, Scott, you've just talked about the integration that is coming, et cetera. But where are we on that, uh, on that journey? Are we, uh, where's industrial adoption of this? So um, my colleague, John Steck, has a line that uh, we're really just sort of laying the transatlantic cable now. Like we are very, very early on. So if we think about you know, the earliest iterations of the internet, that's kind of where we are on the industrial cycle, um, right? We're much more advanced in robotics. IoT is kind of maybe in the middle of that curve. AI is taking off. And I think the, the blockchain and crypto element is still even earlier than that. About 10 years. I think we're about 10 years into the 50-year cycle. So 10 years in on a 50 year cycle. Mm -hmm. So is it too early to invest? Um, no. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> I mean, the way I think about it is um, the current miners and exchanges kind of have a first mover advantage. They have expertise that they are building up that other segments of the economy don't have, right? I mean, the fact that we're all here and we're talking about crypto, we're talking about blockchain, the fact, how much time did we spend today talking about the fact that the government still doesn't know what to do with this? And this isn't, right, on the crypto side, this isn't brand new. And so, you know, what I think we kind of need, quite frankly, we need like the Steve Jobs of blockchain. We need somebody who simplifies, who like works it into our lives in a way that it's advantageous and simple and powerful. And we're still sort of waiting for that. Now, companies have resources that are going to allow them, and this is why I think even beyond the consumer element of blockchain, that the industrial uses of blockchain are powerful because companies are going to be able to access those expert resources, right? Whether it's the McKinsey's of the world, um, whether it's miners to help them set up proprietary blockchains for some of these systems. If they go the proprietary blockchain route, what does that mean for the public chains like Bitcoin and Ethereum? I think it is important because it's going to build familiarity with the tool. And that's one of the things that we're still lacking, right? We talk about ChatGPT was basically the fastest technology to a million users, um, 
right? And I think now it's had over 100 million users, right? The fastest technology to, to scale at that rate. Um, and just the exposure to whether it's open or it's proprietary blockchain technology and the integration into systems, I think helps people to understand and demystify the technology in a way that it'll make them more likely to use it and more likely to invest in it. Do you I share that view, Jake? No, I th well, I think uh, just like intranet and internet, uh, intranets did not really provide that much value. Pri privatizing does not provide much value. Uh, it's the public infrastructure that really provides the value. So the internet is valuable, intranets, aren't that valuable. They're just a business tool. They're, it's a, they're an yeah, it's a business tool. Business. You, don't, you don't even think about internets yeah. really anymore. And, and it's the same thing here. And so um, I think it's important that we build public financial infrastructure. But I can also see uh, Scott's point of view that, you know, I just look at, look at the JPM coin and Onyx that, that JP Morgan is using to settle transactions. Um, that's clearly a private approach that creates uh, business value for their company compared to a competitor, no? It will go, that will go away. I, I don't think that's worth anything, so. You see, on the financial side, I'm pretty inclined to agree with you, but you talked about um, uh, autonomous agriculture, right? And, and the story there that I love is, is John Deere, right? Deere, we make tractors. Well, it's also one of the most remarkable technology companies in the world, right? I mean, they have won the automated driving race. You drive around the Midwest and there are tractors in fields because you're not going to hit a three-year-old chasing a soccer ball in the middle of a cornfield, so in the middle of the night. And so these automated tractors are driving around 24 hours a day. There are drones flying over the fields, taking readings of oxygen levels and temperature to identify areas that are not growing the way they should. And uh, supporting all this, by the way, Deere has a proprietary network of satellites. But yes, they make tractors. They are a technology company that happens to make tractors. To them, that's the type of organization where the proprietary piece yes. can be valuable because whether Absolutely. it's the drones, whether it's the tractors, they can be dangerous. Yep. And so that's why I, I think that there's going to be a blend of the public and private, and I, it's going to be based on use case. Definitely, I agree. Um, I think it's also important for us to to think about crypto and blockchain, I think what really gets missed is the idea of financial capital and production capital. Um, and we don't talk about that too much. And I think it's important for you know, the federal government, you know, for people to understand uh, a distinction between production capital and financial capital. You know, like factories or production capital in the age of you know, industry or intellectual property was production capital for the information age. Um, these blockchains, these crypto assets are really more, many of them are more production capital than financial capital. And that part is, is really getting missed. Uh, if we make the metaverses or the decentralized finance or any of these two-sided marketplaces if we make those financial capital instead of production capital, we're really limiting ourselves. Um, these aren't just stock tickers. It, you know, these coins aren't just stock tickers. Uh, 
they do things. They have smart contracts and they, um, they do activities. And so um, many of these coins are two-sided marketplaces. You can think of like an Uber, you know, that creates supply and demand. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, a platform versus a pipeline business. It has supply and demand. It has a marketplace. It brings it in real time. It does it autonomously, and it has a market price that is set, you know, like, like Uber. Well, we have many coins that do this service for many, many services. It could be uh, like Helium, which allows you to use uh, internet over radio waves, and they have mining equipment that allows you to generate tokens if you use your mining equipment to allow uh, radio waves over the internet. So they have a whole heli- it's a centralized network of, of helium miners. That's very big. Or um, the idea of being able to have you know, millions or billions of compute power from phones uh, glued together to, to be able to deliver the metaverse. So you can buy and sell your compute power of your phone. You know, you can rent it out and, uh, you know, like render. It's, render is a token that allows you, to, it glues together tens of millions of phones, compute power, and provides a marketplace for people to do, you know. So you've just stuff. written a book, uh, Jake, uh, a new book, which you are providing to everybody here at the conference mm-hmm. uh, in your exhibit booth. Talk about um, you know, the examples you just cited uh, are prominent in your book. Talk about uh, the title of the book and giving everybody an idea of, of what it's about. Sure. Uh, Crypto Decrypted, we wrote and it came out about a week ago. Um, it's the second book. Uh, we really talk about, a lot of books talk about the how or the what of crypto and blockchain. And what we wanted to do was to really talk about the why. And so we try to explain why solving a top 10 computer science problem, the Byzantine generals problem, why does that matter to the, to the everyday person? Like, why does that matter? Um, we can do something we could never do before now. Like for in the digital world, you know, in the real world, if I hand you 20 bucks, I can hand it to you, you have it, I don't have it anymore, it's a bare instrument. Nobody is uh, surveilling or watching that. Nobody, uh, I don't need permission to hand you a $20 bill. We have never been, we've never been able to mimic that in the digital world, right? We've always only had credit cards or uh, bank accounts or a third party, a trusted third party, to allow for an economic transaction to occur. Well, with the Byzantine generals problem, we can now have peer-to-peer transactions occurring without a trusted third party. And that, that was never possible before. And uh, the forward of your book is particularly well-written. I think you did a pretty good job. <laughs> 
uh, and Scott, talk about what GlobalX is doing uh, in, this, in this whole space, not just in crypto, by the way, but in robotics and AI uh, as well. Yeah, so we have uh, probably the most robust product offering uh, out there. And, you know, I think about the entire chain, uh, upstream, midstream, downstream, of this AI robotics revolution. And so, you know, it's everything from the software where, we, you know, we've got uh, an artificial, one of the first artificial intelligence funds, which has big cap and small cap. There's also, if you want to avoid big cap, the cloud computing space, which is going to be integrating, that's where most of these AI tools will ultimately be integrated from a productivity standpoint. But then you have processing power and robotics and, and a product around that. Internet of Things, and then data centers, another area where we're going to continue both processing and data compute. Um, and then we also had one of the first blockchain funds. Uh, so BKCH um, it sort of rounds out. And again, that's where you get the exchanges and, and the miners, the people that are building the capabilities now. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of what we have, and I think it's really well positioned. And you'll find GlobalX as well as Jake uh, and Tradecraft Capital in the uh, exhibit hall next door. Give a round of applause to Scott and Jake. Um, thank you, gentlemen. That thank was you. great. That's Scott Helstein, the head of thematic solutions at GlobalX ETFs, and Jake Ryan, the chief investment officer of Tradecraft Capital. In coming weeks here on the podcast, I'll be presenting you with additional conversations from the conference. Right now, though, you can check out the photos and other highlights of Vision. It's all on my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, and the links are in the show notes. Coming up next on The Truth About Your Future, Bitcoin, how does it work? I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us. The Truth About Your Future with Rick Edelman is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Schwab believes every investor deserves to work with a firm they can count on. That's why Schwab has 400 local branches with financial consultants ready to serve you, along with professional answers and 24-7 live help. And it's backed by Schwab's satisfaction guarantee. If you are not completely satisfied, Schwab will reimburse eligible fees related to your concern. Visit schwab.com satisfaction to learn what's included and how it works. Charles Schwab. Own your tomorrow. Support for Rick Edelman's podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This is the truth about your future. I'm Rick Edelman. You've heard of Bitcoin, but what is it? How does it work? 
Well, I'm going to tell you that Bitcoin is a ledger. That's all. A place where we record income and expenses, assets and debts, inventory. It's a ledger. In the world of Bitcoin, this ledger is called a blockchain. People put data on the ledger. They put data on the blockchain. It's a secure way to store and share data. And you can use these blockchains to store and send money, too. That's why it's so popular. But when people put their information onto the Bitcoin ledger, that data has to get verified. we got to know that the data there is legit. People all around the world verify the data that's on the Bitcoin blockchain. But why would anybody bother? Why go to the trouble of verifying the transactions? The reason is that they get paid to do so. When you go about verifying the data, you're asked to solve a complex computer algorithm. And if you're the first person to solve that puzzle, you get rewarded. The reward is Bitcoin. There's a new puzzle to solve about every 10 minutes. And each of those puzzles gets a reward of six and a quarter Bitcoins. At $30,000 per Bitcoin, that's 187 grand for 10 minutes worth of work. Pretty good pay. And that's why so many people engage in this activity. These people are called Bitcoin miners. They're trying to find the next Bitcoin reward, just like gold miners are trying to find more gold. So now you know what Bitcoin is and how it works. If you want to learn more, read my Amazon number one bestseller, The Truth About Crypto. And if you want to understand the latest of what's going on in the world of Bitcoin, it's all about a Bitcoin ETF. It doesn't exist in the marketplace yet, but half a dozen of the country's largest asset managers have requested permission from the SEC to launch a Bitcoin ETF. I've got a special webinar coming up on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, August 8th, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's free, sponsored by Bitwise. And we're going to talk with Matt Hogan, the chief investment officer of Bitwise, exactly about these Bitcoin ETF applications. Will the SEC say yes? And what does it mean for Bitcoin and your investment portfolio? Join us for this important update about Bitcoin and the new Bitcoin ETFs that might be coming to the market very, very soon. The Truth About Your Future is sponsored by Global X ETFs. With volatile fuel prices and growing concern about the environment, consumers are embracing alternatives. Should your portfolio do the same? At Global X ETFs, we specialize in investments that look beyond household names, providing access to companies in emerging areas like electric vehicles and lithium battery production. So whether you're interested in EVs, hydrogen fuel cells, or another green technology, there is a world of opportunity to explore. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to learn more. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, leave a review for The Truth About Your Future on Apple. I read all the reviews. Have a great weekend. The Truth About Your Future with Rick Edelman has been brought to you by Global X ETFs, dedicated to providing investors with unexplored intelligent solutions, and by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ, Invesco Distributors, Inc., and by Presidio, offering a digital vault where you can collect, protect, and share all your important people, places, things, and documents with all the key people in your life. Start for free at Presidio.com. Get the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. It's the truth, AYF.com.